Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. We're recording on today's very unorthodox Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Uh, If you're like us, which I'm sure you are, if you're in the United States and probably even in other parts of the world, we are all kind of in self-quarantine right now. So um, we're trying to err on the side of caution. And um, rather than cancel our podcast, because Laura knows a lot of us have uh, a little bit of free time on our hands now, we decided to try and use technology to still uh, record our topic today, which is should parents participate in weekly therapy sessions, which is interesting because right now we were just talking about before we went live that um, it's been kind of a big change for some of us. Uh, I know Caleb's doing telemedicine for speech, um, but, you know, there are some types of autism therapies that we cannot do telemedicine like ABA and occupational therapy and physical therapy and feeding therapy. I mean, there's just all the things. And so um, kind of we were just talking as everybody was getting on the line of just kind of how the different clinics are handling it. So, but we're going to pretend today that um, we're just talking about standard therapy, not during the coronavirus um, pandemic that's going on out there. Um, The topic is should parents participate in weekly therapy sessions? And the reason why we're bringing this up is because, um, I know when Isaac was little, I sat in every single session because, you know, back in those days, I didn't have the benefit insurance coverage because once he got diagnosed, he lost, we lost all of our insurance for him. So I would um, attend the sessions and then make notes and then try and replicate it at home. So it was really important for me to be able to send in all those sessions so I could see. Um, But right before he passed away, I had had surgery And I could not take him to any of his sessions. And so um, I had my mom take him. And then I was getting, I got an email or maybe it was a phone call from his speech therapist that was like, oh my gosh, the most amazing session ever. And I was like, what? So I asked my mom, I'm like, oh, so like what happened? She's like, I don't know. I was sitting out in the lobby reading my book. And I was just like, wait, what? You weren't even in there? She was like, no, why would I? Uh, So that was like the first epiphany moment that um, there's, you know, like potentially it's not always like awesome. You may not actually be getting your best therapy sessions when mom or dad is sitting in there. I don't know. Um, And so that was kind of one of the things that we were going to talk about today. So who would like to start? And so we're going to be, when we're doing this particular podcast, it might be a little bit delayed because I have to use technology um, because all of my guests are muted right now, just because we're all working from home and, um, or just hanging out at home with our kiddos. And so obviously we've got kid background noise. And I don't know, for me, it's actually husband noises in the background. Um, So who would like to start? Tanya, you're not on mute. Do you want to maybe tell me, share your experience to start with? And then um, we'll move around from there. Um, Sure. Um, I think participating in therapy is, I think it can be good sometimes. And I can also hinder it sometimes. So sometimes like, 
in the way I can hinder it sometimes is sometimes like when my son Logan, he's um, nine years old and on the spectrum, when he's having a difficult time, sometimes I am too quick to want to jump in and help out as opposed to kind of letting them do their process of trying to get him back on track. And so I can sometimes hinder that way because I just want to jump in to quickly try to resolve the situation since I'm this mom. Do you also think that maybe your providers don't push them as hard as they would normally if you weren't in the room with them? You know, like, um, you know, because, you know, mom or dad is sitting in there. And so, you know, like a provider may be more inclined to push harder if mom or dad isn't sitting in there and getting resistant from the child. Yeah, they might push harder if I wasn't there. I know. But see, that's the thing. It's like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I don't know. We just started with a new ABA therapist because we just started doing in-home therapy again because we were on a wait list. And she actually pushes him harder than his last therapist did. Oh. So, um, and he, so he gets really, and he has a very low frustration tolerance. So he gets frustrated easier. And that's when his behaviors come out, correct? When he gets frustrated, that's when his big behaviors come out, right? Or if he wants to do something and he's told he can't do it. Yeah. So it's hard for me to not jump in. However, on the flip side, I think participating therapy can be good, too, because I also learn a lot. Like, I learn how to, like, handle his behaviors when he's having a rough time, and I learn, like, the different strategies they use and the different techniques they use to, with him to solve problems. Yes. And then I can relay that information also to the schools besides using it at home. Yes. And I think that's a really good point. Christine, you're off mute, too. So that's one of the benefits of it. And when you're as a parent sitting in those sessions, um, let's be real, getting your ABA providers to go to the school to be part of the IEP meetings. I mean, sometimes you're lucky and it all works out and it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. But I think you're absolutely right. Like being able to sit in those sessions, be able to observe, kind of make notes, know where you're going, allows you to be able to go to the schools then and um, and be able to say, here's what we're working on at home. Um, so on and so forth. What, where are you at on this whole topic of should parents participate or not participate, Christine? Um, so I'm Christine. I have a 13 year old um, with autism, and we've been doing this journey since well, we got diagnosed at oh 27 months and started therapy. So we've been doing therapy a really long time. Well, and it's um, important to note for you, Christine, that you guys are were a military family when you were diagnosed. So yeah. you have yeah, we got diagnosed overseas. Um, and so when the therapist would come, we'd only see a therapist like once a week for a couple of hours. And so it was actually pretty crucial for me, um, like Tanya said, to learn what they were doing. And at the time we started with OT, um, more play-based OT just to kind of see where he was. Um, and so it was really important for me, you know, to just be a part of it so that I could extend that throughout the week when we didn't have a therapist. When we returned stateside and we were getting, you know, 20 hours a week of therapy and there was somebody in my house for, you know, four hours a day, um, early on, I felt it was really important for me to know how to do the therapy. Um, I, 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 I wanted to learn because I know that my reaction to some things wasn't the best reaction. I mean, I had to have our ABA therapist tell me, you know what, you're extending his meltdown because of your reaction to it. Um, for me to extinguish some of the behaviors that we didn't want, I had to learn how to sort of ignore it um, 
it was pretty critical that I participated. Now that we've been at this a while, I really only step in when we're learning maybe a new goal or if there is um, some way that I'm going to extend his therapy beyond just his therapy session. So if it's something that we're going to take out into the world, um, whether that's going to the grocery store or in a restaurant or out in public somewhere or we're going to have play dates, and I need to know, you know, kind of what how the therapist is strategizing and working the goal. Um, that way I can help do that when we, you know, are just a family going places or just Cameron going places. And Did you ever have one of those kids. moments, though, where like me, where all of a sudden, like you find out when you're not in there that he's like this, like has all of these abilities? Because, you know, keep in mind, Isaac never talked. And then all of a sudden they're like something about like a baby redbird, like such and such. And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Like my kid said that many words together. What I can say is as a teacher, I know that kids act differently when they're just with their teacher or you know, therapist than they do with their parents. Like you can have two totally different kids. So while a parent participating in therapy can be good, I would just caution and say that it's going to look different than therapy that might just be with the therapist alone. I mean, it's, it is, it just is. Yeah. All, all, I have yet to meet a kid who is not different when their parents are around. Well, so true. Although it really like hurt my mom's soul to know that my kid was capable of using words, but like I'd never heard these words before. Yeah. But um, sadly, because I had just had surgery, he was actually talking about a Mickey Mouse Clubhouse show that I had allowed him to watch. So that was hey. his first conversation was basically about a cartoon. But like that's still also kind of true autism, isn't it? So we'll, we'll take any of those first conversations, whatever they might be. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So how about you, Chevy? Because you are pretty, you're still one of, one of my new moms. I consider you to be still a new mom. So um, what's been your experience? So um, I'm Chevy. I've got a uh, now five-year-old with moderate autism and she's, um, she has, she has uh, limited speech. But she's not conversational yet. But basically in our experience, I felt like it was really important for me in the beginning to be 100% participating because um, I just wanted to make sure whatever they were doing in ABA was consistent at home um, and that we were following the same protocols they were following. And I didn't want them to come in because we did in-home for a year and I didn't want them to be working with her. And then once they weren't there, we were doing something completely different. And um, with our situation, too, with Simon, my husband, he travels quite a bit for work. Um, not right now, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> and duly note that he's also from the UK, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but he travels a lot normally. And uh, one of their biggest things was make sure that, like, you know, you're in here with our sessions. You want to make sure if you're being consistent, you want to you want to make sure when dad comes home, it's not totally different because then we just have these inconsistencies between even us as parents at the home of like, I do it one way. And then he just says, Oh no, it's fine. You, you can do that. And I'm just like, Oh no, we, <laughs> we don't do that. That's reinforcing, you know, reinforcing certain behaviors and things like that. So for consistency's sake, I felt like it was really important for me to be involved um, kind of that first year. And then now she's actually in clinic. 
so I don't have that option to be at every single session um, anymore because she's in clinic as we're trying to kind of prepare her for kindergarten. Um, but um, I feel like she's made a lot of growth, uh, a lot of growth in certain areas. Uh, and then she's also kind of slipped back in other areas. Um, so uh, it's kind of mixed for me. I feel like it's helpful for, for me to be there. And then I think she's also making games with me not being there. Um, but I think it's helpful when I know, you know, how are you, how are you guys handling this and me being able to kind of replicate that? I do feel like it's really helpful. Um, so that way she's not getting mixed messages, um, from everyone. I, I know a lot of times even me and Simon have an argument sometimes of like, she's asking for something that she can't have. And I'm like, no, she really can't have it. And he's just like, like, what's the big deal? Just like give it to her. And it's like, no, you don't understand. We're going to get a meltdown every time now. Yeah. Uh, it just takes one works. time of being yep. inconsistent to just have that whole cascade thing happen. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at right now. So she's in clinic. But I will say that um, for, like, OT, um, I do find it helpful to be in session for her OT sessions because she's working on stuff like, you know, core strength and things like that. So we can be helping. I could help at home, too with some of those exercises that they do, um, as far as physically building their strength. Um, I think it would be harder if I didn't really see what they were doing with some of those different. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and and that's, I guess where like maybe the next question, Oh, Christine has um, a comment. Um, I was just going to say, I think what I have found, um, is that if you have a really good therapist, they're going to invite you to be part of the therapy one way or the other, whether that's in session or they're going to provide homework and, and, and say, here's what we did in session. Here's how you can extend that to the home and be working on it at home. I know that Cameron speech therapists give us homework every, every single time. So while I'm not participating in his actual session, we do have homework that, say in the car when we're driving to and from school or any other time, we can still be participating in the therapy, mm -hmm. not necessarily the session, but the therapy as a whole just gets, you know, integrated into our everyday life. Sure. Every day. So this is actually a good question then for everyone who is still doing speech therapy. Cause Caleb's still in speech therapy. He's 12. Um, Cameron's still in speech. Chevy, you're yeah. in speech. Tanya, you're not. Only through school. Only through school. So, and that's the thing. I have to be honest, guys. I still am sitting in Caleb's speech therapy sessions. I would say probably about 80% of them. Um, because in part, because of the homework, they're 30-minute sessions. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're mm -hmm. so short in terms yeah. of speech sessions right now. Like, when boy, when Isaac was little, they were still 50 minutes. But it's like 30 minutes. Actually, it's 25 minutes. And so I a lot of times sit in and make notes just in, because he does have homework. Um, because otherwise I don't know, it's just harder for me to get a read, a pulse on what's going on in there. I think when they're in there more time, at least they have more time to build on that. But so much of it, like in speech with these short sessions, you're literally, most of it's done, not even in there. They're, you know, practicing something like a handful of times. And then the expectation is that it's coming home and that you're going to be working on that, um, on whatever that is. And so I don't That's know if you guys, reason why we do two 30 minutes a week and I get that it's a ridiculous amount in co-pays each time, but I'm not willing to, um, only do one 30 minute a week because like you said, it is so short. Yeah. What we like is that the, um, 
center where we're at, they coordinate the work that they're doing. And so while there's, you know, sort of the, the driver therapist that we have, the second one sort of follows the protocol that the, you know, driving therapist uses. And we get the same kind of homework. He works on the same kinds of things twice a week. Yeah. And we do it twice a week too. You're right. Cause we, yeah. So we technically get an hour a week, but it still just doesn't seem like enough, but yeah. each session he definitely has homework. So let's talk about, um, so, um, now understand that there's different windows of time where they say, Oh, the most progress will happen between this time, um, this age range and that age range. And I, I definitely found like that zero to three and Chevy, you were plugged into services before three, correct? Uh, no. Oh, she was after. She was diagnosed, she was diagnosed at, on her, like, around her third birthday. On her third. Just, just turned three. Yeah. So there's, like, these she developmental... You were diagnosed in that three-year age. You were. And don't you agree that that zero to three, there definitely is a, a tremendous amount of growth that they have zero to three, but even three to five is, like, a huge growth window um, in terms I of... Our biggest, our biggest growth, Cameron went from nonverbal... Um, because that's what triggered us going, holy crap, something just went wrong. Cause at two years of age, he stopped using any language. Like we were, he had verbal language and he was using baby sign language, um, in conjunction with that, he literally stopped. Um, and so by age three, we had him in therapy. Um, he had been in therapy for several months and then we also got him into a, um, preschool you know, a developmental delay preschool um, for about four hours a day. So we were, I mean, we were doing tons. And I would say his biggest growth was from three to, oh, kindergarten, five, six, I'd say three to six mm-hmm. was our biggest gains because that's when we started the most amount of therapy. Right. And I guess that's where I was kind of getting to is, is that, you know, when you're there's zero to three, it's not like they're in therapies for hours and hours and hours. Um, it's not until they start doing a developmental preschool or they start doing an in-home program where they start getting like stacking up the number of hours that they're getting. And so then if they're getting, if they're in preschool four hours a day, you know, four days a week, you know, that's 20, you know, or yeah, that's 16 to 20 hours if they're going four or five days a week. Um, and so when you have that number of like hours, if you will, and then, um, you know, I feel like it's one of those things where they get so much just in preschool or ABA center that then all of a sudden, like if a parent needs for mental, just like I got to check out a little bit. And so you're not necessarily participating in like that 30 minute speech twice a week or the 50 minute OT. um, A lot of the growth is just by exponential number of hours. But for some of us who don't necessarily have those number of compiled hours, it really then I think makes it uh, it's smart to then try and model some of those therapy sessions and, and go and sit in those sessions, watch what you're doing, what's happening, and then being able to carry over that at home. I noticed that both um, Chevy and Tanya both have their mics um, open. So Chevy, I see your face on my screen right now. So Chevy, how do you feel about that? As far as like how many hours? Yeah. Um, here has very full schedule. I mean, her, her therapy schedule is probably, I was, you, as you were talking about that, I was trying to add up her hours. Yeah, like right. She had about 
almost like 40 hours worth of services every single week. Yes, a week. Yeah. Yeah. She's got speech OT twice a week. She has uh, ABA five days a week. She has developmental preschool four days a week. And she has speech and OT in school. And that's every single week. Yeah. Um, So that's a full time uh, job. I actually like the ABA clinic breaks. <laughs> I know. Okay, so let's talk about that though. Yeah. I had a year. I had a year of somebody in my house every single day for yeah. a year. Every morning they were. I mean, sometimes we'd come down in pajamas and she was in a diaper and she was like half awake. Like, yes. That's so horrible, but it's like. And here's the child. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Okay. But let's talk about that because that is a valid point too. When you're talking about those number of hours, then mom and dad need maybe that time where they're in ABA and, you know, clinic for a little bit of downtime. And so we certainly don't want to make it sound as though there's not some importance to like mental health and some like time for parents to regroup. So, um, so I think that that's really valid. Tanya, were you, did you have something to piggyback on that? Yeah. Um, I would agree with Christine. We saw our biggest growth between the ages of three and five and Logan wasn't diagnosed with autism until he was five. However, um, he has received services since he was 19 months because he was very speech delayed. And so, um, and so once he started preschool at three, he also went four days a week for about four hours and, that's when, like, he went from, like, not talking much to by the time he entered kindergarten and I met with his principal, his principal told me that she would never have known he received speech services if I hadn't told her because he was fully on top. Okay. Oh, yeah. So he made, he jumped from, like, being extremely delayed in speech to by kindergarten being conversational to where um, it wasn't the people who weren't around him all the time. It wasn't noticeable that he even required speech services. Sure. Tanya, how many hours of therapy was he getting at that point when he was making, like how many hours per week do you, was he getting when you saw that big jump? He was mainly just doing preschool. Just preschool. Okay. Just preschool. We didn't even start ABA until he didn't have an autism diagnosis. We didn't start ABA until he was seven. Okay. So, um, for him then, was it a developmental preschool or just standard preschool that he was in? It was developmental preschool. It was developmental preschool. Okay. Christine, I see your yeah. mic's off. Did you have a point to make? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I mean, essentially, um, I think it just needs to be whatever um, works for your kiddo. For, you know, for Cameron, because he went completely, you know, nonverbal, um, you know, we were doing, like I said, a half day, so about four hours of um, developmental preschool. Uh, even when we came back stateside, that's they had pre-kindergarten, and that was in a developmental delay classroom. So that was half a day, and then we had another almost four hours. Usually, typically, we averaged about four hours a day in the afternoons of ABA therapy. And then in and around that, we would do speech therapy and for the first two years that we came back to the States, we were doing occupational therapy. So much like Tanya said, I mean, I think Cameron was between preschool, ABA, speech, and OT, he was averaging 40 plus hours a week. And 
I mean, he's 13 now. We hardly slowed down in terms of his total schedule. So how many hours is he getting even now at age 13? Well, obviously, because school now is instead of four hours, school is like seven hours of time between when he leaves and when he gets home. Um, he still goes to school from 8 o'clock until 2.30, and he typically, we get to his speech therapy um, three times a week um, by 3 o'clock. Um, two of those days is for a half an hour, and one of them is for an hour. And then four days a week, um, he comes home, and from 3.45 to 5.45, he's getting another two hours of ABA therapy. So. Four days out of the week, Cameron goes from, you know, 7.45 in the morning until 5.45 at night, solid with either school or therapy. Yeah. And that's just what we do. And it's my personal opinion is that um, we are doing all of this because I'm looking towards what Cameron will be at 18 25 and 30 and all the work that we put in now is to lay the foundation for him to be as independent um you know and uh you know have have him make as much progress as he can by the time he's an adult Mm -hmm. whether that's you know we say that at 18 or really at say 25 or as you know an adult at 30. sure so let me ask this question. I'm going to go down the line. So Tanya, you're first. So when he, when your son was younger, is it safe to say that um, you participated? What percentage of the therapy sessions were you participating in when he was younger? Like when you first started we participating services? Participating in all the ones at home before he was three, because they were all in home therapy. Okay. He went to a, like a social skills type thing for also at their clinic as well and I was participating in that okay and from three to five he was essentially in preschool so actually I was not participating okay four hours and then I was also um doing my student teaching and teaching at that time so he actually went to the developmental preschool for four hours and then they would bus him to daycare which was like a more neurotypical type preschool experience as well so he had that on top Hmm. with typical kids so and then um, is he and he's just starting a, a home program now, correct? Yes, he was. He did in-home ABA in second and third grade, but he wasn't at school full day. Okay. And then decided this year to go to full day school as a fourth grader. And they have usually wait lists for after school because that's when everyone who has school age kids wants their. Yes, so, yes. Yes. So we had to step back from doing ABA for a while and we just have been doing social skills group twice a week for two hours. Gotcha. And so they just had an opening. So we just started this past month doing in-home ABA again. So he does that two days a week for two hours and then social skills group two days a week for two hours. Okay. And so what percentage are you participating in those at current age? Um, social skills group, I don't participate at all. I usually go down if I, because I drop them off and I a lot of times go down to the rocket bakery downstairs and just get my... Yes. And that's okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's nice to just be able, it's downtown, so there's no point, and it's only two hours, so there's no point in me driving home. So I usually will just go fill time, like, get things done. Self-care. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, sit, sometimes I'll sit in the waiting room in the clinic area, but, um, and then I participate in his ABA at home. Because that's still relatively new, and so you're still just kind of understanding kind of the 
what the goals are and kind of how they're going to go about implementing what your goals. Okay. All right, Chevy, you're the next, my next same question. So when she first started therapies, because we know that she's had a very busy schedule, is there a difference between the number of hours that you were participating when she was first diagnosed and first plugged into services versus, um, cause that's only been what, has it been two years now? Yeah, we're on the second year. Yeah. So the first year I would say I was a hundred percent with everything. I was in every session. Um, and even, and with in-home, uh, we were, I was just participating every day and they even had a policy that you need to actually be in the room with them. Um, I think it was a small liability thing too, you know, a girl. <laughs> so sure. I love being there in there anyways, because you know, you never know, probably training and all that fun stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, but anyways, so I would say the first year I was like a hundred percent with pretty much all of the services minus developmental preschool. Sure. Obviously that's fine. I can be in there. And then, uh, this year I would say now we're at the point where she's in clinic, she does school and then I'm only really in session for speech and OT. Okay. Um, and then next year, uh, it'll probably be even more. She'll be in kindergarten. Yeah. We'll figure out how that's going to work with therapy around kindergarten. Sure. Okay. Christine, same question. When Cameron was first plugged into services, when he was first diagnosed, what percentage of sessions were you participating in? So when we first got his diagnosis and we were overseas, I was 100%, obviously, um, because we only um, had the person come to our home um, from a base about three hours away for about two hours. And then I, I had to do, you know, the extension. Um, when we moved stateside um, and Cameron was in, um, well, and then also when he was in the developmental preschool overseas, obviously I didn't, I didn't do that, but um, I was actually really close friends with the teacher. And so I would go in and volunteer and know what, um, you know, um, curriculum they were doing, or I would help with like any sort of picture schedule for him or pictures for any of his communication. I would help create those kinds of things. Um, I mean, I, part of it might be because I'm an educator by trade. Um, and so it's easy for me to sort of jump in to the school realm and help out in ways. Since we've come stateside, um, his ABA therapy, I, I try early on, I, I probably participated 80, 90% at 13. Um, and after doing this for 10 years, other than knowing what his goals are in ABA or what his speech goals are and doing homework type stuff, I don't participate at all. Um, I let the ABA therapist work with him. Um, we determine his goals together. And obviously I do, um, you know, extensions of that in our, in our own random, normal daily life. Um, but I don't participate in speech. Um, so we've just, just been doing it for too long and uh, you're a seasoned veteran now Christine well, I feel I feel like just our normal is therapy yeah like our, you know our we just I work from that framework all the time everything is therapy every place we go every experience we have there's something that we can teach you know can to do um or be or act like um 
anywhere and everywhere we go. Yeah. No, it's all about teachable moments. And so let's talk my last question before we then wrap this one up, because you guys were amazing and provided me with lots of great information here. Um, Last question is, so for those, okay, not every parent has the benefit of being able to be a stay-at-home parent, right? Um, And so when we talk about our our spouses or at the kids' parents and that are not around, like what, how were you able to, because not every parent, so I know I have a lot of moms where they have to rely on a grandparent or even actually the dad is the, is the person that stays home and then gets the kiddo back and forth to therapy. So since you guys were the, the coordinator of therapy services and the transportation model, I guess. Um, so how are way effective ways that you guys have, um, been able to then pull your significant others, your husbands, um, in. So then that way, when they are home, Chevy, you touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, if, if you, your spouse can't come to the therapy sessions and they're missing out, like what are effective ways that you guys found to be able to like get them, um, into the, the fold and up to speed. Let's start with Tanya. Okay. So my situation is probably a little bit different, especially now that Logan has therapy after school from four to six. So my husband works from home. Oh, yeah, and he works for an East Coast company, so he's off work at three. So he's actually off work the whole time now that Logan is you know, Okay. Before he was still working when we did it when he wasn't at school full day, so he'd be in his office. But now he's actually at home, so he actually gets to kind of see therapy this time around. Gotcha. Off work, so. Nice. What about you, Chevy? You kind of touched on it a little bit. So, kind of a combination of things. Um, I would try to, and especially when you're dealing with any major goals or um, behaviors or whatever it might be, I would try to kind of debrief him and be like, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on this week. Um, we're having issues with this or that, and this is what we're kind of coming up with as a solution. Um, and just trying to get him on board with like consistency, like I kind of mentioned earlier. Um, so I try to do that and then occasionally he would actually work from home. So he does travel quite a bit, but then he does work from home sometimes. So sometimes he would, um, when he can, he would kind of sit in on sessions to kind of get an idea of like what, what's going on that week and what she's kind of working on. So he would take kind of an idea that way. Um, and anytime he worked from home and he had availability, I would just be like, Hey, do you have, like, what are you doing the next hour? Do you have any free time? Cause I'm about to leave for teacher OT. Do you want to come? Um, and of course, that was only occasional times to come, but I have had him sit in sessions sometimes. And even a few times, I've even had him take her to sessions, um, just so it's not completely like I really hated him that first year that I felt like I was delaying everything. And he, I think initially, because everything was so new, I felt like he thought I was being bought. Oh, yes. Just so you know, this is how things are going. This is how we do things now. And he was like, oh, really? I guess you're like the expert. Yeah, now. and you have to do it my way, right? I just am the expert because I'm there 90% of the time. So there was a little bit of uh, adjusting with that, I guess, that first year. But I think once he actually sat in session and he was there for some of those meltdowns and some of those uh, issues, he was like, okay, I, I get it. He drank <laughs> the pink Kool-Aid, essentially. You are, you are not alone in that. Chevy, that that seems to be the um, standard process that a lot of our um, significant others go through in terms of if you're the primary uh, person who's involved and knowing and and doing and then you they kind of come in and you're like 
nope, this is the new way. Uh, this is our new normal. This is the new way we're doing stuff. There's, yeah, it, it's challenging. It's definitely challenging. But ultimately, yeah, I think just bringing them in, having them go. At this point, um, my husband also travels for work, so he's gone half the month. Um, and so, but on the weeks that he's home, he takes Cameron to all of his outside therapies. Because um, I think that's really good that he then gets the chance when the um, therapist, you know, bring up the homework and explain what they did in session and what they're working on and what the homework is. Then, I mean, he just he knows. Yeah. And then part of it. Um, our therapy room in our house is upstairs just outside of um, sort of our office area. And so my husband can sit there and work on a few things, but he can also listen and, and you know, kind of get a feel for what our home therapy is, is like too, which I think is really good. So, um, yeah, just everybody just needs to be involved. Yeah. But it can be a struggle early on. Oh my goodness. Yes. Question for any of you guys. Um, have you ever had resistance from a provider saying that they don't want you sitting in in a session? No, no, I've not dealt with that. Before. No. And how would you feel if a provider was resistant to you actually sitting in on a session? Something's happening that I need to know about. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, that would be my initial like feel is I would really need to understand why. I mean, it's one I, I understand that. Believe me. You know, the world is full of all unique and wonderful people. And again, I will be the first to admit that um, clearly some of Isaac's best therapy sessions were ones that I weren't wasn't actually participating in. But and I think that if ever and the reason I bring this up is because it actually has happened where we've had um, because we've Isaac Foundation has received contact from parents concerned because providers are actually not allowing them to participate in, you know, these ABA sessions. And so I guess my I just wanted to talk about this, because, again, if you don't know any better in terms of, you know, when you're new to the whole autism world and you're still getting your sea legs and then all of a sudden you have a provider that's just saying, you know, oh, well, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to have you be in these sessions. I'll let you know when it's the right time. I would, I don't know about you guys, but I would absolutely, um, without a doubt, reach out to the clinical director and just say, Hey, I need to understand this better. I need to know exactly what the reasoning is behind, um, you know, like no parent participation, because again, I think sometimes you do providers do have to have hard conversations with parents about, you know, again, when you're talking about consistency, if you're working towards a goal and a parent is not being consistent, but again, locking a parent out of a therapy session, um, rather than having that conversation with the parent about, Hey, here's, here's my concern. Um, you know, we're working on this goal and here's what I see breaking down when we're trying to teach this goal, which at the end of the day, then kind of falls back on the parents lap. Um, but, and that's where I guess I was, you know, do you guys agree that that would be a red flag? Tanya, how do you feel about that? Um, I think it can be a red flag, but sometimes I think it's not because like, um, we did private OT when Lillian was in, uh, kindergarten and it was actually at a clinic. And so they would, all the parents waited in the waiting room. So that's just kind of was their model and they would just take the child back themselves. And so it was just the model they used. And so it didn't seem suspicious. They did it with all the kids, the kids, I mean, and they worked in different rooms. And so some of the kids were together. And so, sure. And so how did they communicate to you what you should be doing at home then? Um, they would come out and give a debrief before we would leave each time. 
Okay. Chevy, how do you feel about that? My only, I, I kind of get what you're saying, Tanya, that that was that particular office's model, and we actually did work, not think about it, we did work with a provider initially for OT and speech that did kind of a similar model where you would wait out in the front um, for, um, for them to do the session, and uh, they actually had me, had me start to starting to go back because of behaviors. <laughs> so I ended up sticking anyways, but um, I kind of get that some offices have that model. The only thing I would say on like a personal level would be that the fact that my child is not conversational makes that challenging for me because it's not like I could say, you know, oh, hey, how did session go? I, you know, how are you feeling about this or that? Like, how are things going? Because I can't do that with her. Um, I could do that with my boys. Um, so that part of it would make me a little, I just make me a little comfortable about saying that's not effective, but that would make me kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Because Logan is conversational, so if something happened, he would come out and tell me. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. How do you feel about it, Christine? Um, I'm right in line uh, with Chevy. When Cameron was younger and he didn't have a lot of language, I was much less, um, comfortable with allowing his sessions to you know, happen without me. Um, the more language that he got, um, the more I was willing to be okay with that, you know, the older that he got. I can remember when we first started um, OT and PT when we came stateside, the clinic that we were in had the double. Um, yes, I love that. And so, um, you know, Cameron could go into the therapy room, but if I wanted to just walk down the hall, after he got started and take a look and see what they were doing that I was able to do that without that interrupting sort of that, um, relationship and flow, you know, between Cameron and his therapist. And so I really appreciated that. I thought that was, was really, really good. I wish more clinics had that to be honest with you. I know. Yeah. Pretty much every, um, therapy room had that, that two way glass or whatever you call it, that mirrored glass. And, um, so yeah, you, the, the therapist and camera would go into the room and then, you know, five minutes later, if I wanted to walk down and see what they were doing, or even sometimes the therapist would say, Hey, why don't you come take a look at kind of what we're doing so that you can set that up and, and kind of practice it at, at home. Um, when we moved here to Spokane, obviously Cameron was, you know, much older and I've actually never had, um, a, a therapist tell me I couldn't come back if I asked, but again, we go to therapies where, um, or clinics where they just take Cameron back and they do their work and I sit in the waiting room. So, um, I also think that it, it doesn't hurt to ask, even if, if the procedure isn't, oh, okay, well, we're going to go back and we're going to do therapy with them. If, if you want to ask, um, I would be concerned if somebody flat out said, well, no, and you know, didn't provide me a valid reason for that. Um, sometimes I know for Cameron, um, having a relationship with his therapist is really important. He's not going to work for somebody that he doesn't like or have a relationship with. And so anytime we've had to change therapists for the first few sessions have to be that relationship building in order for him to, um, you know, work his hardest with them. And so sometimes that can be impeded if, you know, the parent is, is always in session. Sure. Um, and 
I wanted to actually talk about that because you actually bring up a really good point, Christine, because when we were first starting, uh, I mean, we went through two therapists pretty quickly. Like when we first started, the first two therapists only lasted, I don't know, maybe a week each or a couple weeks each, like, because they just were not a very good fit for her. And we were having a lot of resistance. And um, I was, you know, I just went to the director and was like, hey, I'm sorry, but I just don't feel like this is a very good fit for her. And then once we found her fit, she had the same main ABA therapist for over a year. Yeah. And actually the same lady got a promotion and she's not her, her lady every day, but she's her supervisor. She still works with her technically. It's not every day, but she still kind of manages her case. And, oh, I mean, she, like, sure has a serious relationship with her. I mean, she runs up and hugs her every time she sees her, and they built that really great relationship. And her two therapists that she's had for the last year, she's had for the last year, and they haven't really changed. And um, I feel like being in session, I could kind of, I don't know, assess, and it sounds weird, but, like, assess whether they were fit or not. Like, I know my kid, and she does not like your method. And, like, there was one provider I remember that was not very kid-based. Like, she would kind of go, you know, oh, hey, we're playing. Like, kind of like a, a fake play session. And then she'd be like, and now I need to do this. And it's like, she's smart. Like, she's, you know, she's three or four, but she knows when you're actually playing. Yes. When you're, like, pretend playing. Yeah. And she did not work well with that lady at all. And once she got with her lady she was with for a year... I mean, her therapist was down, she was down the floor, crawling around, playing with her. We went to a, a play center one time, and this lady's literally up in, like, the tube, like, climbing with her, going down the slide. Like, she knows real play and fake yeah. play. Yeah. So, it's like, sometimes you can kind of assess that fit for your child, too, if you're there. Yeah. Where, if it wasn't there, I wouldn't know that every time it was a giant battle, if it was, I wouldn't know it was because of maybe the style of the therapist or if it was just my daughter having behaviors. So I think being able to actually see how it plays out can actually be helpful. No, I completely agree. And I, I, hate to say this, but I will be for the interest of podcasting and just being totally real and authentic. I consider myself to be a speech therapist snob. Um, And part of that is because if we're coming in here, if I'm sitting in the session and I can just tell from how like just, you know, um, the way that they talk to Caleb in terms of because he has receptive language processing and I can just automatically tell right off the bat, whether or not they're going to be able to communicate effectively with Caleb, understanding his receptive processing challenges. And so a lot of times, you know, when I talk about being the snob, it comes because, you know, our speech therapist is gone. And so they offer us, you know, like an appointment with somebody else and, and, and understanding that they are still new and learning. Um, you know, I always, I'm kind of like, okay, you know what, going to give it the benefit of the doubt. And I can tell you within the first like five or 10 minutes that like, yeah, this is not going to work because, you know, they're because of his receptive processing and their the way that they're using expressive language and he's missing it because of how they're using expressive language because they don't understand his receptive processing. I'm like, there is absolutely nothing that is going to get accomplished here in this 25 minutes. And I've just, and now of course, too, because of our insurance, um, I pay $120 per session. So I have zero tolerance for someone that has like, um, 
just not good expressive communication to a child with receptive language processing challenges. So I'm just kind of like, nope, uh uh-uh. So literally, I now keep a list of um, subs that we've tried and I rate them because, again, it's one of those things where it's like, you know what, maybe when you have five more years under your belt working with kids with autism and receptive language processing challenges, maybe we can circle back there. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, right out of college, if you haven't spent a whole lot of time working with kids that are such literal communicators with that receptive and expressive language processing, it's just kind of like this is a disaster. And it's just not worth my $120 for that 25 minutes. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, so I'm kind of I'm with you guys, too. I'm I kind of like I said, I'm kind of like a little bit of a a speech therapy snob right now, because it's like, it's just so much money. You're like, I need the gold standard. I'm paying for the gold right it's one thing too is if we've already met our deductible for the year and it's like ah, it's free don't care you know what I mean I can be I can have a lot more grace when I've met my deductible right yeah all right guys well I appreciate you guys helping me out and again I want to um, articulate too if you notice when I went through and I talked to each one of these parents each of these parents said that initially when they first started Um, accessing therapies, they were really hands-on 100%. Same thing with me. When Isaac was little, I was 100%. I went to every session. Um, And then, you know, with Caleb, same sort of thing when we first plugged into services. And now, again, you know, Caleb's you know, I don't go into every single speech therapy. I still do sit in a lot because, again, when you're paying $120 an hour, I guess I will say that, um, you know, maybe I, you know, it's kind of just, you know, trust but verify maybe a little bit. Um, but the nice cool thing is, is that over time from what you guys have told me is, is that you do then um, need, use that time for self-care to get other stuff done, which has its value too, as long as, you know, again, you're comfortable with your providers, you're still seeing progress. There's a lot of things to then measure in terms of, you know, um, you know, if your kiddo stops maybe making the progress that you're, you're hoping for, then maybe that's a good indicator too, that sitting in in sessions and maybe communicating with your providers, it, it might be time to do that too. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. I'd also mention if uh, seeing a bunch of regression too. That would be the time to uh, recircle back and figure out what what's causing the change. Yeah, absolutely. Christine, any parting words? Uh, no. We're, we're still on quarantine depression here, so no. no. I was gonna say, I mean, I mean, when we're talking about therapy, there's just gonna be a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, just um, and like everything in the world, is just find find your balance. Yeah. You know, if, if you even early on, if you can't do all of them, don't feel like you need to. Yeah. Um, because you're just you're going to do a lot of therapy. Yeah. Period. I mean, uh, that's just the nature of the beast. So you're going to do a lot of therapy um, over the course. We've been at this for 10 years and we still do a lot of therapy. Yeah. Um, well, and so- too, there's a season for it. Like when I was going through my divorce period, um, again, that was my like, Hey, we were still plugged into services, but like my participation level was like a lot less because a lot of times I use those, that period of time to just sit in the waiting room and cry. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just the reality of it is yeah. now I'm on the other end of it. And so things are, it's a better season. And so give yourself grace too. So yeah, just find, find your own, find your own balance, find what works for you. If you go to speech two times a week, maybe you only, you know, participate in one of them. If yeah. you 
if you're doing, you know, 20 hours a week of ABA, an hour of each session each time, and then go take a couple hours for yourself. I mean, you know, just find your balance. Yeah. How about you, Tanya? Any parting words? Um, not really. I would say, um, also find your child's balance because my son Logan, he really does need downtime. He's a homebody. He really just needs downtime. So it's finding that balance between also letting him be a kid and therapy. And he's a kid who likes, he likes having just downtime where there aren't a bunch of demands placed upon. Yeah. So this quarantine is probably delightful for him. Oh yes. He, I mean, he's a home person, so he's just fine. Yeah. He's liking it (laughs) out, loving it. How about you, Chevy? No, I was just going to say, Kanye, that's like a perfect point you brought up as far as figuring out their balance, because Kara, this is like her new normal, you know, that was, this is her normal now, but I will say in that first year, we did have some resistance when we did add on additional services, and now we're adding additional services. Some days she would honestly get to a point where she was just done, and we kind of, she cut, we kind of had to balance that a little bit, because when you are asking a very young child do a lot that they're not always wanting to participate 40 hours of this or that. Let's be real. As adults, we don't want to participate in a 40 hour work week. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's, it's an expectation, not because I'm loving it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. But just for those newer parents, if like, you might just have to figure out that balance. Yeah, for sure. All right, ladies, guess what we just did? We did our first quarantined podcast. Oh, and look, there's Scarlett. Hi, Scarlett. If you, if you aren't watching the video that goes along with the podcast, Anna, my executive assistant, is um, mon- moderating for me. And so um, because we're all homebound, Scarlett showing her precious little face there in the in the camera. How are you, Scarlett? Thumbs up? Doing good? Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and end this podcast of Isaac's Autism in the Wild with more to come because, again, we're home for six weeks. And so I thought, you know what? Um, Anna had a really good point. This might be the best time ever if we can manage and, and conquer technology. This might be a really good time for us to actually get a lot of great content recorded um, on this particular I'm sure we'll probably need, we're going to be dying here pretty soon. We'll be having to podcast a little bit, even on like strategies um, during all of this like downtime. And also in the event we have to start canceling therapies. That was actually some of my ideas too, is if we have to start canceling therapies, um, what are we going to do? Like, what can we do at home? So maybe we'll circle back to that. I know, right? Again, we're all like, no, no. (laughs) Anyway, well, thanks you guys for joining me. We're going to go ahead and end now of this particular podcast. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.